Good evening, Millersburg Baptist Church. Hey, boy, it's good to be here again. It's a privilege. I've passed these around here. This actually is the uh, final week that we're going to be on this First John study, and it's kind of sad. I have quite a blessing whenever we get to come up here, and uh, we get to get into God's Word together. That's why you guys always come together anyway. It's around the Word of God, isn't it? I hear tell your preacher preaches the Word of God here. (laughs) I'm glad you guys have remained faithful to that. Keep doing it. You're on the right track, right? uh, This first John, it's a dear book. It's, uh, It's not really complicated, but it sure keeps us, uh, I think, looking at uh, the fact that we have salvation forever, we're secured in that, and we are assured, and that's really what John is really putting forth. I think of of all of the themes that are in uh, this whole book, is uh, assurance is the one that stands out the most. I think about it. This is uh, it. Almost seems like spring today. It seems like it almost is, is kind of hitting, doesn't it? And starting this next week, you know, we said springing full. Well, I think we finally got there. We went from January into going right on to April now, right? We feel like we're spring back a little bit. I know. It, but on my way up here, it, the temperature actually was dropping when we were in uh, like at, at Fulton, and then it dropped to 53, and then 52. We go, whoa. We're here. We in the right direction? <laughs> then it came back up again. The sun was out. I go, okay. <laughs> in ice storms right here at Easter. <laughs> ice storms at yes. Easter. So, next week, watch out. <laughs> ice storms. It was ice storms. There were semis in the... Everybody in the ditch. We had to get out and get the ice off the windshield wipers. Did that happen last week here too? <laughs> was that last week? Last Saturday it snowed all day. Yeah, yeah. My son was about four years old and he wanted a new sled, so we got him a new sled. He said he wished that it would snow four foot feet on Easter. We got four inches. <laughs> four inches is enough. <laughs> four feet, yep. Aren't you glad that God doesn't answer every prayer? <laughs> <laughs> he answers it just a little bit different than what we want, right? Anyway, hey, how many tests have we been continuing to see through the book of First John? Three tests. There we go. And it seems like every week it's, it's those, those three tests. Well, they come up again. It's basically about truth and righteousness and love. Or doctrine and then our behavior and then our, our social test, our moral test, doctrinal test, all, all of those are all in here. And they're going to be in the text again tonight. We're, we're going to see that. Uh, of all things, we're going to see love come up again. You wouldn't believe that, would you? At first John, why would John do that? What's the most important test? Well, that's probably kind of unfair to ask because how can you say something is more than uh, uh, maybe important than another one. How can how can we say that? If we say doctrine is the most important, you can have all the doctrine and not live it out and not love and that doctrine is not any good without that. Or you could have you could be doing good things, but if you don't have love for your neighbor or if you don't have right doctrine, that's no good. And you can have love with no doctrine and that's dangerous. So all of these are important, aren't they? Uh, what is in Ephesians where it says, you know, loving with, with truth, truth and love go together, and uh, of course our our uh, the righteousness that God has given, righteous living. But out of this one, I think the one that really pops up for John, he stresses the need for love here. I think the people that he was writing to were doctrinally correct. Uh, he warned them against the, that pre-Gnostic teaching. Uh, and they had overcome that. And I don't think that they have so much a doctrinal problem because they were taught very well where they were at. They had good doctrine and they could discern. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is the one that's leading them in that. But what we see here, I think that they always need to be reminded of the love. 
Even if you have all true good doctrine, if we don't act it out and, and live that part out, then we're going to be in, in danger. So it seems like John, as he moves forward with this, he builds up with this crescendo, kind of reaches the summit here, and we get to uh, this part where uh, we're now out at in First uh, John 4 in verse 7. Uh, Marcus, by the way, I, I like those little history things you have on the hymn. That's, that's really good. Uh, I love history anyway and throughout the church. But it's neat how God equips different people down through the centuries and how they have given us songs that have lasted hundreds of years and we still sing them today. We might even sing them different. <laughs> no. That is that they were like like that chant. They can use all the same words, but what the early church is probably using a lot of the same kind of words that we even use today. But we probably sing them different. But yet, when we get to be in the presence of God and all of us are singing together, all the church, no matter how many years have separated us, we're all going to be on the right tune. <laughs> but hey, no, I I know exactly where you're at on that. That wasn't your mistake. You were playing with what was in the book. You wouldn't believe how many times I have taken lyrics and taken them like off the internet, mm-hmm. done that, and then had the people be familiar with the songs that were in the hymn books, and they were singing something different than I was. <laughs> you know, like a whole verse. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized, hey, they're doing something different. Why are they doing that? <laughs> no, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I, I like that. Yeah. Well, in uh, in John... He starts off with a, a word in verse 7 that's not too unfamiliar. Beloved. And he keeps with his theme. Beloved, let us love one another. That sounds like a song. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and beloved, believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. What word keeps popping up for that section? It's there almost every verse, and matter of fact, not only once, maybe a couple times or so. John is stressing something, no doubt about it. John has a concern, and he has a concern that they have the love of God manifest in themselves, that, that it would be seen. And, and, and he starts giving reasons. And the first reason that he gives is obvious, he starts talking about God. What's well, the nature of God? Uh, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And, and so there it is, that black and white issue that John has. So simple to understand, but profound. Now he's going to emphasize the Trinity in this section. 
And in verse 7 and 8, I think we can see God the Father involved here. Uh, and, and each one of these members, like I say, is going to be involved. But God is demanding us to love, isn't He? And, and we can't ever forget about that. You know, it's not only those, those feelings, but it's much more than that. It's that agape and uh, dealing with self-sacrifice and such. But God is the very source of love. We know that that's where it comes from. Matter of fact, He's defining Himself as being loved. He's defined Himself as light. God is light. God is spirit. We see Him here as God is love. God is love. That's His very own nature. I mean, that's His makeup, right? So God is love. God is light. God is spirit. And uh, John uses those words a lot. When you think of love, for one thing, there's a, you know, you guys are familiar with common grace. It's, it's given to all believers, unbelievers, where God has a compassion. Uh, he gives warnings in the Bible uh, to all. And, you know, He has a, a, an extensive way that He uh, reigns on the just and the unjust, and, and He blesses uh, everybody in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, so, in a general, universal term, He does. But for his own, there is a different kind of love. It's, it's a marvelous love. It's the love that um, is, is special. And it's a perfect love. It's a love that forgives. And it's a love that blesses uh, his own. Life-giving love. And uh, so it's, we, we're going to see that word perfect uh, come up. This perfect love. This God that, that does that. Well... In verse 9 through 11 now, not only do we see the nature of God, we are to love because God is that. If that's the way He is, the source comes from Him, so therefore we are to do that. Another thing is that it's a gift. It's been given to us. So God the Son is emphasized here. We've seen God the Father. And now in verses 9 through 11, the Son is emphasized the Son was given to us. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So we see right, right there uh, that Christ is involved. The Son, the Son was given. God gave the best there was to give. We couldn't get a better gift. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better, is there? He is our life. And so we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 15. Another one of those famous verses. You know what? Yeah, there we go. I was thinking of something different. It's okay. This is it though. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. You can't even put it into words. I mean, there's no English word that we can come up with other than indescribable. Thanks be to God for the indescribable gift. That's Christ. The best there was to give. And then we go back to uh, verse 10 now. It says, In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Boy, that's the right perspective, isn't it? And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Okay, so the Son was given, but that wasn't enough just to give Him. He died. He had to die. He came not to just be an example. He wasn't just a great prophet, not a great teacher. But I mean, He was a great teacher, but that wasn't what it was about, right? He came to die. To die at the death of a criminal, of all things. And then the next one, when it says a propitiation... And whenever he's saying it's, it was really for our sins, that makes us criminals. We're enemies. He dies for the ones who are his enemies or his the, the criminals. And that's the kind of death that he had to do. He had to do it for sinners, not the lovely people. He did it for his enemies. And so our duty is commanded by the immensity of, of the sacrifice of the Father by uh, giving His Son here. And that word propitiation pops up again. We like those doctrinal terms. We love those, right? Bible doctrine. To be the propitiation. And that's uh, dealing with... Helismos uh, is, is the word. And it's really dealing with the Father was pleased. He was satisfied with what the Son did on the cross. 
he fulfilled the plan that was already done. And uh, there's sometimes it's spoken of in uh, pagan religions that there's an appeasement of the gods as they offer up their sacrifices to him. Well, we're not offering up sacrifices. We trust in the sacrifice that Christ did. But uh, in, in the Christian term, it, it means that God the Father is pleased. So that's the second time we ran into that word. I think it was uh, back there in chapter 2. Uh, so we see that we have the reasons to love. Uh, one of them being what? The nature of God, then the, the very gift of God. Now we go on with verse 12. And if we've looked at God the Father and we've looked at God the Son, what's next? Well, the Holy Spirit. Isn't this interesting how John is doing this? He, he gets the whole uh, Trinity involved. Uh, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's the, the, the thing. He says, okay, if that be the case, do it now. Here's 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. He lives in us. And His love has been perfected in us. Take another verse. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Later on in chapter 5, we'll see... Um, as he continues to go, he, he always gets the whole Trinity involved. We have the Holy Spirit involved in here uh, quite a bit. He lives in us. He abides in us. He dwells in us. How else could we be able to do the things that we do? So it's an ongoing activity. It's something that is presently done. And so the Holy Spirit is emphasized. He abides in us. He lives in us. Um, he, he's made complete. You know, I mean, in, in, the, in the sense that His love is made complete because of the Holy Spirit being there. That word um, complete, or actually I think it's perfect, or perfected in verse 12, is teleos. Has anybody ever heard of that word before? Teleos. It means to... I'll tell you what. Jesus said it on the cross. It is finished. It means to bring to a close, to be fulfilled, to be completed, to, in this case, uh, uh, maturity. And so whenever he talks about this perfection, and we'll see it again in verse 18 uh, a couple of times, and it'll, it'll be that word teleos. You think a telephone? Uh, I guess the phone line is it comes to an end. I think tele is, is related to that Greek word teleos somehow. But um, anyway... Um, so to to bring to fruition uh, the, this completeness. So His love is made complete in us, even though we don't always show it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit and with God pouring out His love in us is you know that's that's perfected as far as what He does. Of course, we want to work that out, don't we? As He works in us. Philippians two thirteen. Uh, okay, another one is um, love and sound doctrine. We've looked at the reasons to love because it's the nature of God and it's a gift of God and we see it's the ongoing activity of God because the Holy Spirit who is in us that has us to do that. So we get to love and sound doctrine and we see in verse 13 that there's a gift, the gift of God's Spirit. By this we know that we abide in Him. How do we know that? And He lives in us because He's given us His Spirit. Without His Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have that. We wouldn't know that but we know because He's there. Believers know they dwell in God and they know that God dwells in them because of the Holy Spirit. How do you know you've been given the Holy Spirit? How do you know that? How do you know? Is because you have a burning in the bosom? But the, the Mormons say that, right? The burning in the bosom. And they say they feel that. There's some kind of a real literal burning in there somehow. Is It's because we heard the audible voice of God and now we know because we heard that. Or why is it that we know? Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit. Exactly. Romans eight. And I mean, and and aren't you glad that you can know that because of that? I mean, you have an inter, inner work there, and then you have the objective truth of the Word of God, which is saying it right here. Uh, you have the evidence of, of the Holy Spirit, and you believe because of what the truth is here, revealed by God. He reveals it to you in here. People have feelings all over the place. I feel this. Well, I, I feel like I'm a Christian, but uh, I don't believe you have to believe in Jesus Christ. 
I believe that uh, anything goes. You know, people can say that. And they say, well, I think everybody's going to heaven. Yeah, I personally am a Christian, they might say, but everybody else is going to go there. You know, my God is a loving God. Well, it's not based on truth, is it? It's based on a feeling, their own thoughts, their, their own subjective thought. But our spirit with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God makes us for sure that we know who He is, that He dwells here. And so God has given us that. A red flag goes off when you hear something that's not right, and I would suggest the Holy Spirit. That's not right, you know. This is like a red flag, but wait, that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. It's knowing the real thing. You know, why does that happen? Why does that flag come up? Well, if you know the word, then Mm -hmm. then God's using that. I guess it wouldn't happen. I guess if you didn't know the word, but but the Holy Spirit, maybe it would. The Holy Spirit would tell you it's wrong. That's why it's so good to just constantly... You cannot be in the Word enough, can you? You can't have enough good Bible studies and when you meet together. There's a lot of reasons. Why are you coming together? Well, it's really about based around this. And whether it be song, whether it be prayer, especially the teaching of the Word, but that all comes together. And if you, the more that you hear it, the more that it sticks here, and, and then the Holy Spirit is there, and He brings those passages out. When you have opportunities to either share it or defend the faith, or going, whoa, you know, there's something strange here, you know. We know that because of, of His truth. Yeah. And that's very important. That's what John is, is really wanting these people to, to know there too, isn't he? He's a big concern for that. So, we have the gift of God's Spirit. We have the evidence of God's Spirit. In um, verse 14 through 16, he says, And we have seen, and we testify, that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So John says this, you know, of course, that we, we, we have seen. Of course, they saw Christ, literally, but we're, we're testifying that it's the Father who sent the Son. He's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in Him, He in God. And we have known, believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in God and God in Him. So repetitious, but it all comes together, doesn't it? God does that a lot. He has to repeat things to us a lot. <laughs> but it's good, because it, it's the way it sticks. Uh, somebody might ask, well, is God at work in my life? Well, the evidences are seen in love. Do they love others by, by the biblical way? Do they have sound doctrine? Do they want sound doctrine? Do they really have a desire? Maybe they may be a young Christian and may not know much yet, but do they have that desire for more? Now, that's a good evidence, isn't it? Uh, another one, uh, uh, one of the evidences is do they confess Christ? I mean, really confess Him. And that's, that's what it says in verse 15. Whoever confesses, whoever homologeo, to say the same thing, that Jesus is the Son of God, if they really mean that, if they're saying it from their heart, you know, and it's coming from their mouth, then that's uh, one evidence that they, they are. Um, matter of fact, at the point of confession is whenever it is said to be begun. When we say our confession, now we can be chosen before the foundation of the world, but there's a time when God calls us, and then we confess our faith. Uh, a true believer is a confessor. They confess sin, but what else do they confess? They, they confess Jesus Christ. And of course, you know, you think of the creeds and all the doctrinal statements that are made and everything, or whatever you believe. That's that's confessing. And you're a confessing church. You have the. Do you guys have the Baptist uh, statement? Uh, uh, yeah, faith and message. And that's confession. We use the latest one. What do they say about Jesus Christ in there? They they write on. No. They came out of the new Baptist hymn or something. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble because I said be bad to send them. Okay, right there. Okay. And, and I'm sure one of the very first things right up in the very front is what do they say about Jesus Christ? You probably don't have to look too far. They all start with the word. The word first, right? All, that, all confession talks about the scriptures first, then it talks about God, then God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, and if you don't believe the scriptures, mm-hmm. you got to establish the scriptures first because that's where we get it at. If you don't believe the scriptures, then how can you believe that in the Trinity, for instance? So, by this, we have come to know Him. Well, how do we know it? Well, if, uh, if we were to, to move on, we'd, we would see that uh, obeys commandments. <laughs> right? The one who says, uh, I've come to know Him, doesn't keep His commandments, is what? A liar. And the truth is not in. Anyway, um, we look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He abides in that. Anyway, to, to love is, is commanded. It's a duty. But it's really an evidence of the Spirit who's residing in you. So we're getting love. We're getting truth. We're getting obedience. Okay, we go to uh, the perfection of love, starting at verse 17. And here's where we get into that word teleos again. This is this perfecting of God's love. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. So we have perfected in verse 17, then we have another perfect in 18, and then another perfect uh, telos. So He returns to that and what it means practically. And really the emphasis is not so much of the love that God has for Himself, but it's our love for God and for others. And... So perfect means whole, it means mature, it's the state of the mind the Christian would find himself as far as when the love of God is within him. He expresses himself to other believers, his love and unbelievers, and he shows what God has accomplished in him. So that's the fulfilling of the love, to be matured. It's, God puts it there. And as we automatically have that, we develop it too, though, because we do it because we know we're supposed to. Even when we don't feel like it, we still are to uh, show that love. It's an experience uh, of the love of God. And uh, we show that fullness. Let's go to the Romans 5, 5 for a moment. Famous verse again, isn't it? Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Holy Spirit, you're a believer. Love is just poured out. You can't have enough. I mean, it's always there. I mean, you, you won't run out. He will continue, but He's poured all that in you. And uh, that's, that is uh, good to know because... It's like the floodgate was just opened and all of His love came funneling through. And uh, the Holy Spirit uh, brings that to us. I think this, the, the full expression of that love there is, is granted to us when uh, we're obedient to the Lord. We get to really show that. And we show that we really love Him. Um, was it in chapter 5? Uh, in verse 3, we're not there yet, but... Uh, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. So we know and we experience the full richness of that love. He's given all the love we need, but we experience that fullness when we have obeyed Him. And so, you know, it's, it, and that's something that we can actually manifest that. When you obeyed Him, when you came to church, that's a command to come to church this morning, right? And worship Him. And you desire to do that. So it's a matter of love there. You love Him. You want to love Him so much that you want to come together with God's people and pour out what He's just poured in you. And there's no way we can ever return all the love that He gives us. Oh, He just keeps pouring it in, doesn't He? It's all there. Um, Verse... um, 17 is kind of interesting because it brings out judgment. And there are a lot of people that do not like the idea that there's going to be a judgment coming, that they are accountable to God, and things 
are going to be held against them. Let's say somebody doesn't believe in God, but they say they do, uh, but they really haven't. There's been no obedience. There's been no love. And uh, they don't, they're, the, they're the same people that, that do not want to talk about judgment. God is a judging God. Here he is. He's talking about love. And then out of nowhere, John's got to bring that topic up. (laughs) Judgment. But you guys sitting right here, is anybody really afraid of judgment? Why is that? We know that there's going to be judgment. Because the truth here says it. I think it's legitimate. I think it, matter of fact... I think it's one of those kind of things that is kind of automatic. I think a lot of people who aren't even Christians know there's going to be some kind of judgment. They may not want to talk about it. They, they say the word all the time, whether they know it or not. They'll, they'll use the word hell. You ever notice that? Why are they bringing that word up if they don't want to talk about it? Perfect point to get in. Oh, by the way, you talking about hell? <laughs> But that's not a pleasurable thing to talk about, is it? But John says here, hey, listen, if you really have shown love, you you have an obedient life, you confess Christ, don't have to worry. Uh, You don't have any fear. There's no fear. If you really have the love of God, you have no fear. We look forward to the time that Christ comes. That's an odd thing, isn't it? Here it is. We as Christians, we really just can't wait till He comes back. In the meantime, we do what to be doing, and we joy in that. But boy, you know, anytime, Lord, I don't care. <laughs> That'd be fine. That'd be fine. But in the light of judgment, um, they they will dismiss that. But it's logical. This this whole idea of judgment. But we don't have fear. The word is uh, the confidence there um, for boldness. Love has been perfected among us. Bring, brought to fruition and completeness and fullness that we may have boldness in the day of judgment that we may have confidence the word is parhesia in it, that's what it means boldness it's a good version that if it says boldness we can be confident good to know isn't it John brings that forth um, another one here is dealing with the, the love of the brethren from 19 through 21 and this perfection is referring to that that loving your brothers. Uh, unless we're loving our brothers, we're actually deceiving ourselves, right? And John has already said that. If you don't love, if you don't um, do as, as you're commanded, then you're lying. If you don't confess your sin, you know, you're, uh, and you say there's no sin in you, you're, you're lying, you're deceiving yourselves. Um, then we get into to verse 20. Now, this is interesting. John has used this quite frequently. haven't seen it in a little bit here. But he uses that if someone says. Does that sound familiar? That is that... Um, this is, I think, the seventh time that he's done that. Where somebody makes a claim. How many people claim to be Christians? <laughs> it's all over the place. Just like there are churches on every corner, Right? They make these claims that they're Christians, but God, whenever He does this through John, is actually challenging them, and He's challenging that claim that they say this, but they're not doing it. Uh, There's a warning here, isn't there? If you're a Christian, you don't take it as a warning, uh, but if there's somebody saying, I love God and hates His brother, there are a lot of people that I know have actually said that. That they're Christians, but and they'll they'll use the word hate. I hate people. I hate them. I hate church. I can't stand people in church. <laughs> yeah, and this is why John says this. You know, uh, I'm a believer, but hate all over the place. They're, they're lying, aren't they? He doesn't. He doesn't love his brother, and uh, he doesn't love God. Don't you like this at the uh, the end of? Uh, Verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. That is so simple, but think about it. There is no way that we could have ever loved God unless He loved us. That's an enabling verse. It's how we're enabled to love Mm -hmm. because God loved us first. 
Yeah. He gave us the power when we were, were enemies there. Well, that's the, that's the first part that we've dealt with now. And uh, we'll go on to the second one. It's dealing with the three tests. I think we're already see, we've seen some tests already involved in this, we don't we? Well, we go back to those three tests that we've been seeing. The, this first part was dealing with God is love. So what does that mean? Okay, love others. Now, I don't know of anything that is easier to understand. Little kids, kindergarten age kids know about that. God is love. Right? They even sing songs about it. And they know that they're supposed to love others. And uh, so, uh, we um, we haven't said anything here new, right? You might want to talk a little lower. You're blowing up. I'm blowing up. <laughs> <laughs> That's power, isn't it? Yeah, all right. The lights are going out. <laughs> Judgment is getting ready to happen. <laughs> mm. All the Christians can say that amen, right? Going right along with the scripture there, amen? Okay. Now, uh, the test. And and the first one is a social test. It's love, okay? (laughs) Uh, We're in verse 1. We're in chapter 5 already. Did you know that? Chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him... And begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Sounds like I've heard this before. (laughs) What's he doing here? Uh, Sometimes, I have to think too, you know, this, this whole idea of loving. Sometimes it's easy to love the kind of people that we like to hang around with, the ones that we feel most comfortable with. And like you take, uh, let's say, denominations. Sometimes we love the people that's in our denomination, but we don't really love the other guys over here, Christians, in the other denominations. Or how about um, somebody has a different theological persuasion? Well, we'd rather hang out over here with our other people and love those people who have the same theological persuasion. And, And sometimes that might be healthy, you know, but at the same time, we tend to um, minimize uh, our, our love for others with the group that we feel most comfortable with and we forget to really show our love to uh, other people out there. Um, and the best way we can give evidence is just by doing that with, with all children of God, all the ones who are born of God. And that's where we get into this verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ, is the Christ, is what? Born of God. Simple, profound, because, again, a while ago we ask, okay, who loved first? God loved, right? He loved us. That's the only reason we love Him. Well, here it's dealing with kind of the same thing. Which comes first, faith or life? Well, if we're dead, we don't have any faith, do we? Where's the faith come from? God, right? Ephesians 2.8, what does it say? It's talking about it's a gift of God. And so if that be the case, He grants us the faith because we, we've been regenerated. As you were saying there earlier, the life has been given. We are born of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. You believe, not because you worked it up, but because God is the one who regenerated you. You were born of Him and now you have that faith. The child of God is first made alive by God as a result of which He comes to believe on Christ. Because of what He did, now we believe on Him. Granted to us and it's like a a hose connected from God now to us. We have that channel there that we connect with Him in in that sense. We, we, We now desire to pursue righteousness we didn't do that before. We now desire to love others, which was not a thing we uh, wanted to do before. So this, this test of love comes in again. But he's using believing here, and really in this first verse is, is confessing, and it's dealing with doctrinal truth here too. So he's love and truth right here in verse 1, isn't it? Believe is a, This is interesting. Believe here is a present tense. Whoever believes 
It's, it's saying that there's a continuous action. You believe. You keep on believing. If you really have the truth, you really have the belief, you will continue to do that. Uh, born of God here uh, is a past tense that keeps on going. The present tense is the one who believes. We believe, but the born of God is something that happened in the past that keeps on going. And John Stott says this. I think it's pretty interesting. Kind of saying the same thing we've been saying here. Our present continuing activity of believing is by which we became children of God. We're children. We become born again. And then we believe. We first were made alive. God is the one who takes the initiative as He begets His children. He chose to give us birth. We are born again. He regenerates us. I don't want to get into the, the order because uh, that can really be confusing. But we know He has to give us life first before we can believe. Go to John 1. John wrote the Gospel of John, didn't he? John 1, verse 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Now that sounds interesting. To those who believe in His name. Now watch though. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it takes us right on out of the equation in the sense that it didn't start with us in that sense. He had the initiative. We're born of God. Not of our own will, not of our own flesh, but of Him. And then that's how we become children of God. And then that's how we can now believe on Him. Believe on that sacrifice. And then we keep on believing because He has given us this this life. Go to uh, James 1, verse 18. James, just a little bit before 1st John, right? Before Peter. 1... 18. Of His own will, of God's own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures, of His own will. It's interesting about the will, isn't it? Of His own will, He brought us forth. He caused us to be born again. We're born of God. One more passage. First Peter. He takes this out of Mm-hmm. And now we do trust Him, don't we? First Peter one twenty three, having been born again, not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's the Word of God that comes and, and plants into us, and then um, we are born born of God. What we do is we just exhibit the very characteristic of our Father. We may come short of love sometimes. Could we were Maybe convicted quite convicted about not loving our brethren. He just sits and said, hey, but you will love your brethren because I'm putting that in you to do so. Yeah. yeah. We're, when, when you're born of somebody, you're like them. You're like your parents. You take on a lot of their traits, their characteristics, their nature. And, of course, that's what happens. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting, too, on a practical point of that. You know, exercise people talk behind others, behind their back and stuff, and they start frenzying and others mm-hmm. get into it again, their little cliques and stuff. That is so anti-Christ mm-hmm. in its behavior because that is really, well, it hurts the church, but, but it's against what God's Word is saying right here. Mm-hmm. You know, God is clear. That is not of the Spirit Absolutely. of God. That is not of God's spirit. That's opposite. Absolutely. And so that is a that's a repentant issue there. Really? Yeah. And that's where they go back to first John one nine, because that's that sin, right? Yeah, it is. That's an offense. That's going totally against his nature. Yeah. What it does, it goes back to uh, the nature that we once had and we're acting like unbelievers when we do that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Satan's yeah. Born of God. That's incredible to think about that. Um, what is it in um, in Peter that he says that we have the very nature of God? 
We're not God, not little gods, but we take on His nature. I don't really know what all that means. I mean, to be I'm in His family now, when I, I really wasn't naturally. And now I've been brought into it. Not just adopted, but now I, I get to inherit everything His Son inherits. Uh, uh, staggering. It just, it just blows me away how much we, uh, He has for us. And we even have right now. And why would we act like unbelievers like that? It's so common for Christians to do what you're saying, though. Dennis, I know all over the place that's, that happens so much. Um, verse 2. Here's one of these we know again. And that's kind of the title, isn't it? By this we may know we have eternal life. Well, in verse 13, that's what it is. By this we know. Isn't it good to, to know that you can know? By this we know that we love the children of God. How can we know that? When we love God and keep His commandments. (laughs) I think I've heard this before, right? He just kind of keeps putting it in a... the same same thing, only from a different angle. It comes from another angle all the way around. And you go, He's beating this in my head. (laughs) But we need that. Boy, do we ever. Don't we forget. You know, some people I've actually heard say... Oh, you know, I don't go to Sunday school classes because I've already heard all that before. I don't need to do that. I don't need to go to church because it's the same old thing. I've heard all that. There's nothing new in there. You know, I, I'm, I'm tired of that. I already know it. I've heard people say that. They really believe that. And the next thing I know is I start looking at this right here and I'm wondering, hmm, wonder if they... How do they go, get along with those tests, right? Yeah. I'm, I don't know. But there's something there that would bother me. Well, uh, two through well, two through four basically is is a moral test, uh, the commandments, but they're not burdensome. Matter of fact, they're light, and matter of fact, they're a joy when you really realize what they're about. Uh, so, test of love, we've seen that here. Uh, a test of obedience, and what's the next test? Well, doctrine. It's faith, and it's in verse five. Uh, I don't know if I read all those. Verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Oh, we have to get that. Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. There we go. Make a good song. Hey, I think I've heard that before. (laughs) There's a lot of songs taken out of this, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like that song. That's been a long time since I've heard that. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We are... Nikes. We got a bunch of Nike people here tonight. You say, I've never owned a Nike pair in my life, and I don't intend to. <laughs> Nikao is the word for victory. <clears throat> and there used to be missiles uh, that our country uh, used to name those particular kind of missiles. They were Nike missiles. Victory missiles. Heard of them, right? Of course, everybody knows the tennis shoe, right? Uh, Nike, to, to have victory. And uh, all the, that means all their athletic endeavor, endeavors you're going to take in, you're going to have victory, right? What happens if you have ten runners and they're all wearing Nike shoes? <laughs> first, last, and last first, right? It's all a dead heat. <laughs> they're Christians. <laughs> okay. Uh, overcome. I have overcome. Why? Well, because of my faith. Oh, man, I have really strong faith. Well, it's the faith that He has given me. I overcome. I've been born of Him. If I've been born of Him, I overcome the world. I, I conquer that. This is the victory. It's overcome. What is it? What is it? He says, it's our faith. And I think of Jude, and he calls it the whole body of the gospel, the truth, uh, the word of God, everything you embrace. Doctrine, right? The, the doctrine, the truth, uh, the scripture. It was for uh, once uh, given to the church. And of course, as they give it out, that's that body of the, the faith, as Jude refer, refers it. Anyway, uh, you remember in, in Romans eight thirty seven, he calls us more than conquerors. That means super Nike to over conquer, to overwhelm, uh, unbelievably more than conquer, overwhelmingly conquer. That's what we are. Sometimes you really wonder, don't you? <laughs> but we really are. When we look at you know the truth here, <clears throat> and uh, 
matter of fact, we're continually overcoming the world. That's what he says. We're born of God, and in the present tense, he's saying we are continually overcoming the world. It is habitual. It is permanent. It's forever. It's ongoing right now. It's present right now. We're winning right now. We are winning, people. We are triumphant. Well, I sound, I sound like a coach here winning the NCAA. You're going to the Final Four now. But that's what we are. We are winners because of Christ. You know, we have a hard time believing that because we look in the stands of the world. We really the world is telling us one thing. Here's what success is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it comes down to success is trusting in God and, and, and being obedient and loving God and loving, loving others. So, wow, what a victory. Uh, okay, it's your believing and, and what you received at salvation is a permanent faith then. That's what that's coming up with. God gave us a permanent faith, didn't He? I mean, this is permanent. Well, what about the people who stopped believing? Well, John already answered that way back in chapter 2. Do you remember that? Remember that famous verse? They went out from us because they were not of us, right? If they had been of us, they would have continued. And there's the answer. You know, one of the answers. We can't make everything just simple, but that is one way of a manifestation of it. And so, you know, we we have the true faith, uh, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, uh, the Christian faith. And uh, it's there's faithfulness involved there. How about the testimony of God? <clears throat> How does one arrive at such a conviction that we can make these claims? We're reading this and it says we're overcomers and, and we win. How do we arrive at that? Well, it's God's testimony. And so in 6 through 8... I don't know whether to really go into this. I'll touch on it real quick. Uh, King James, New King James are going to have um, a phrase in there where it's going to say the Father, the Word, and uh, the Holy Spirit. And Father, the Word, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity. And if you have other versions, you probably are not going to have that line in there. I'll read the New King James here. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is a Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. We've already seen the Holy Spirit who bears witness. For there are three that bear witness. Okay. Now some of your translations in the next line that I'm going to say are not going to have this. In heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three, three uh, uh, agree as one. Uh, I don't want to get into, into really any sticky issues here. And I'm not trying to promote or dispromote any translations. Uh, King James, New King James will have that one phrase. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's absolutely true. It is the Trinity. And but some people uh, who are textus receptus, that would be King James only, would say, "Well, see, uh, your Bible doesn't have that, so therefore you have a New Age translation, and it's all wrong, and all those translations are wrong." Well, I'm not here to to you know to get into any kind of those d- discussions. Uh, when it comes down to it, John is making a statement here about uh, there are three witnesses, uh, and and we definitely will see the Spirit, the water, and the blood there. Both translations have that. Just just a, uh, a couple of seconds on this. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, John MacArthur, and some other people, and, and many others, but they report that the words of the Father, Word, and Holy Spirit, they appeared first in the Latin manuscripts in around 800 A.D. Before they weren't, those three words weren't in the text. Somebody put those in. Whenever it came time around the Reformation to translate into Greek to, to get the Greek text together and put together a New Testament was a guy by the name of Erasmus who was kind of on the side of Luther but he never was in the Reformation. He stayed Roman Catholic but he was a scholar. He put the New Testament together which basically is what the, the King James is today for the most part. And so he gathered some together. Well, he didn't have it in the Greek text so he didn't include 
the uh, in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't include that in there because he couldn't find it. It wasn't there. Well, some of the, uh, the Catholic guys come to him and say, you better put that in the text. He says, well, I can't find it. I, I don't see it in the Greek text. It's not there. He said, they, so he said, okay, okay. They pressured him so much. He said, if you can find any text that have that in there, then I'll put it in the, the translation. I'll put it in the Greek. Well, they gathered up something. It was uh, something that was, I, I don't want people to really say illegitimate, but it really didn't jive with what, what he was looking for. But because of all the pressure that was put on him, he included it then in the Greek text. And then uh, later, as the King James was established, they went ahead and uh, kept that in there because it was there. That's just history. Whether you want to uh, buy that or not, it doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't care. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that what John is saying, that God has left a witness, and it's the, the witness is himself. And, uh, of course, we know the witness is, is Christ. And we know the Holy Spirit's a witness, and so that's that's what uh, what we deal with there. There's a lot more we could spend on time on that, but I, I don't really see the uh, really major issue to, to deal with. But it, it's kind of uh, interesting, and, and so that's a that's a textual problem that one has to deal with. How are you going to interpret this? Which version you're going to use? We, I think we see we see the Father's testimony. Uh, if you see Spirit and water and blood. A lot of different views on this too. And as many as people as there are in here, we could probably come up with those. There's a, there are at least four views on them. Some of them are bad and, and some of them uh, are good and that could be legitimate. Um, I'll, just, I'll just say this. This could be what it is. And I don't take a, a dogmatic statement on it, but I can say that the water could refer to his baptism. And the... Um, um, the blood, the water, the blood, the spirit, the water, and the blood. The blood would refer to what? His death. And then the spirit is referring to the spirit that was, let's say, upon Christ, even at the baptism, you know, where uh, the Holy Spirit came like a dove. And um, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So there was an attestation to that. Uh, we don't really have to uh, get the final interpretation on it because there are many. And I mean amongst really good, solid, sound theologians that we all respect. Um, what, what's the idea? We're certain because God attests to it himself. And that is the really, I think, what John is trying to stress here in, uh, in the text here. Um, the Spirit of God... And then uh, the, the testimony of uh, God the Father and, and, of course, the Son. And the uh, Holy Spirit is definitely going to bear on our spirit. And so we've got a lot of truths that we deal with, don't we? That we know to be true. And so he says in verse 9, If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Okay, if men witness about that, that's good, that's fine. But the witness of God is much better. You know, much greater than any human testimony. Why wouldn't anybody believe God more than anybody else, right? Uh, go to John 8.14. Jesus answered and said to them, and the Pharisees have said, you bear witness to yourself. Your witness is not true. How many witnesses are you to have? Three, Three right? Even in our courts, we have that today, right? In the Old Testament law, three witnesses. Okay. Of course, we kind of see that in First John there. But, uh, but this time, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. And then it says, you're judging according to flesh. Here, Jesus is saying, you know... There, and there's definitely enough witness here involved with who Christ is, but he says, even if I'm the only one witnessing here, even if I bear witness myself, my witness is true. What I'm saying about myself is true. He has the right to say that. He's God, isn't he? But he gives more uh, witness than that in itself. We've seen in First John how this whole book started off. 
We have an internal witness. It is the work of God's Spirit. God's own testimony. He has revealed Himself through the Word. Uh, it's true. And the purpose is to lead us to full assurance. And then from there, He goes to prayer. And I'm skipping some verses, but oh, 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 we, there's one we cannot miss because this is our title tonight. These things, verse 13, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I'm writing these things. It's like John got all the way to the end and he said, here's the reason I wrote this. I... Yeah, right. <laughs> We've seen it all along. It's assurance, isn't it? That we know. And, but he doesn't stop. He says, oh, by the way... This is why we can pray. <laughs> and he brings on the confidence again. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And I liked uh, somebody prayed earlier uh, before we started about God having ears. He hears us. We know that. Isn't that great? He hears our prayers. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And get into a difficult text and thank the Lord that we don't have enough time to deal with it tonight. <laughs> if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, and, and Dennis is going to cover this uh, <laughs> next week, week after. He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. I had an explanation, but I don't have to deal with it. So <laughs> anyway, uh, God had something in mind there. Uh, what he's saying, though, we have, he's stressing that we have confidence in prayer. And it's God's promise. And... Uh, the whole thing is, is prayer is not so much getting what we want as getting in tune with what God has planned. What do you have? Isn't that the idea of prayer? And I think people have it all wrong. And, you know, we, we definitely we want to be praying for the things that we know that, that's right. And then you, you see the intercession of 16 and 17. And sometimes we don't know even what to pray for people who are in certain situations and so I, like I say, on to the summary. You think, okay, John, you're done, right? Oh, no. He has one more thing to tack. And if John was here, he would probably go to at least 7.05. Okay. We've got to quit real quick. You ready? We're going to read it, and we're going to leave. The lights are going out. I think somebody's back there saying, okay, it's time. It hit 7 o'clock, and I can just see another light going out. We know. Don't you like this? Look at, and look at the series of we knows here. Aren't you glad we can know? We have absolute certainty, surety, assurance. Look at this. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, does not practice sin. Continue. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Do we have to explain that one? No. Verse 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So what do we have there? Well, we know we are children of God. We know that we do not practice sin. What's the next one? Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. If one was a Gnostic, he's making a claim there. We know the true God, the Son of God, the one who came down in the flesh. He's the true God. You have a lot of other gods, you Gnostics, but uh, he's the true. And the very last thing, little children. And he's been saying that all along, hasn't he? Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. The false gods. The false gods of the Gnostics. Presented under the name of a Christian God. Or other gods. Anything that is what? Idolatrous. That take you away from God. Anything that detracts from Christ is idolatrous, isn't it? Well, before the lights go out and we can't see our way out of here, let's close. Does anybody have anything to add? I want to tell you that I can't believe that four weeks is done. It, it, I've never seen a quicker month. The month of March. We started this and now the month of March is ending. But I, I never want to take this for granted, the privilege that I have to share with you guys. And, of course, I see you quite often, you know, whether it's in the store or, you know, coming around here. You, you guys are absolute brothers and sisters. That I can't thank the Lord enough. And, and I, I pray for you quite a lot.
and uh, need to pray for you every day. You guys pray for me. <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I'm thankful to the Lord that your faithfulness is, is there and what He has granted to you and, and uh, your lights in, in a community here. And um, Anyway, let's... Yeah, we're going to be in darkness real quick. Even though John says we're in the light. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this great book that your apostle John wrote. And, Lord, may we commit to these truths even more. We, we know they're there, and we desire to uh, manifest your completeness, uh, the love that you have completely given us what we need, and to show that even more so that we can uh, give the glory to you. And, uh, Lord that this place would be a place that would manifest the very presence of God, that people would be drawn here because of the Word of God that's being taught. And uh, we're thankful for the faithfulness of that for many, many years and continued on. And uh, we know, Lord, that there's going to be some time, and somewhere along the line, there's going to be somebody needing Your Word, Your truth. And we're just waiting for that opportunity. Thank you for this time, and it's been very special. Um, and uh, Carolyn and I have enjoyed this, and uh, we uh, just thank you and, and your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.